Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Uh, Last week we preached uh, an individual message called Settling Season is Over. Uh, And in that message, we looked at God has given us recipes, right, Uh, that produce the outcomes that we want. But oftentimes, we mix with God's recipe, and then we complain about the outcome. How many know we got to do it God's way? Got to do it God's way. I want to kind of piggyback off of last week, not the same sermon, totally different sermon, but I think you'll be able to tie the two together uh, today. But I want you to go with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 14. We're going to look at verses 20 through 24 from the international, new international version, the NIV. The scripture says, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, I, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on, on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now, this text, the first part of that, you're probably like, uh-oh, pastor's about to take us to the woodshed. But if you look at that last line of the text where he says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. God is saying, I won't bring them, but I will bring him. Talking about Caleb. Sometimes you have to decide if you're going to be in the them or the him category. I want to speak to you from this subject today. I want to call it king me. Everybody find somebody and tell them king me. Come on, that's the wrong neighbor. Tell somebody else king me. Now all the husbands got a kick out of that as they told their their wife, king me. Um, this is, this is a very unique passage of Scripture. And God is communicating to Moses, whom he spoke with face-to-face. And it's unique and interesting, and, and that's saying a lot, because how many know in the Scripture there's a lot of interesting and unique exchanges between God and humans? I mean, for an example, I mean, we have God asking a man... Adam in the garden asking a man, God, asking him, saying, where are you? How many know that's interesting? Because God knew where Adam was, but he asked the question. We know that God and, and Jacob got in a wrestling match. 
Y'all remember that? They got in a wrestling match, and Jacob said in, in the wrestling match, God, God said, hey, I want you to let me go. Or, and Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And we know that God blessed him. God blessed him. It's interesting. There, there's an exchange with Jesus who's enduring the cross. He's enduring crucifixion. And in this moment, this exchange between God and Jesus, where Jesus says to God, he says, why have you forsaken me? And God says nothing. Sometimes the exchange between God and a man is interesting because of what God does say. But how many of you understand sometimes it's interesting because of what what God doesn't say? That there are times that what God says is powerful and then times when God doesn't speak and it's also powerful. How many of you would say today that you have had seasons where you wish God would speak? (laughs) Come on, somebody. Where you wish God would give you direction where you were asking God for insight into a situation, where you're saying, God, I just need something from you. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what to do with this, and I don't know if I should turn right, don't know if I should turn left, don't know if I should proceed, don't know if I should wait, but it would be nice if you would give me something to work with. Anybody ever felt that before? God, just give me something. I, I just need a nugget. I just need a next step. And the scripture's filled with these exchanges between God and man. And this exchange is interesting because you have God who has promised the children of Israel a land. He's promised them a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he made a promise to them. And then he comes back and says to Moses, who is the leader, he says, I know what I promised, but you need to tell him I'm not giving it to him. Now, how many know that's, that's hard to swallow? God made a promise, and now he's coming back to the table saying, I'm not going to give you what I have promised you. And the reason it's hard to swallow is because God is the model of consistency. God is the model. He has a perfect track record. The writer of Hebrews calls God immutable. That means God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been and he will always be. The Bible says that before Abraham was, God said, I am. That he does not change. He is always in the present tense. That's why the scripture tells us now faith. Everybody say now faith. Come on, say it strong. Say now faith. Now faith. It's not like now faith is. It's now faith. Faith is now. Faith has the potential to pull your future into your present. And God is in the eternal present. That's why he says, I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. God is, he exists in the eternal present and faith has the potential to pull your future in to your present. He's the God who doesn't change. He's the God who says, I'm not a man, so I don't lie. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, the son of man, and I don't change my mind about things. But it's the same God who in the text tells Moses, I know what I've promised, but they're not getting it. Now, how many of you have trouble with that text? Am I the only one? 
Like, I have trouble with that. I promised you something, but I'm not going to give it to you now. I've made this declaration over your life, but I'm not going to give it to you now. And the Bible says that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that God drowned Pharaoh's army. And um, they made it to the other side. And when they got to the other side, they had a praise party. Y'all remember the story? They pulled out the tambourines and all of it. They had a praise party. They had a celebration. They were celebrating that God had brought them out of Egyptian bondage. But God says, I I brought you out. You had a praise party, but I got news for you. You're not getting the promise. And so if if you remember the story, uh, you follow it along, that God even had them send spies to the land to look at it, to see it, uh, to see this land that he had promised them. And so God was saying, you're going to see the grapes, but you're not going to get to taste them. You're not going to get to eat that which you see. God is in essence saying, I'm going to expose you to something you're not going to get to experience. A lot of us, when we read this text, it's like, what do you do with that? What, What am I supposed to do with the God who doesn't change, the God who doesn't break promises, the God who doesn't lie? He tells this group of people, I know what I promised, but you're not coming in to this promise. Now, when we look at that, what we have to understand is that there are prophecies that these people in the text were not going to experience. There were not only prophecies, there were promises that would not be realized, potential that would not be realized. And God's saying, you're not going to see what I have promised. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now, this is, this is interesting because we're, when God says, those who have treated me with contempt, it's an interesting word because the word contempt means that you have dishonored, it means you have disgraced, and it means that you have um, been willfully disobedient. All right, everybody tracking. I've, I've made a promise, but all those who've been contempt with me, you've treated me with dishonor, disgrace and been willfully disobedient, you will not come into the promise that I have for you. Now, some of you are like, man, I wish I had stayed home today because I came looking for a promise. I came looking for a prophecy. I came looking for God to speak. But, but the, the text is confusing unless you understand this point. Some of God's promises and prophecies are a proclamation of his preference. I want you to get that. It means that there are certain things that God prefers to do. This is what I'm willing to do, is what God is saying. This is what I'm willing to move heaven and earth for in order to bring it about in your life. This is my preference. This is what I want to do for you. God's promises and God's prophecies have two categories. Some of God's promises and prophecies are conditional while others are unconditional. I want you to get this. Some are conditional and some are unconditional. Conditional promises requires your participation. If you're not willing to do the things that need to be done, 
in order to meet the conditions of God's promises, then those promises become conditional and you miss out on what God has. God says, I'll bring you out of Egypt because that's what I do. I bring people out, but you don't get the full promise that I have for you unless you're willing to participate in it. And the promise is not so much dependent on God, but the promise is dependent on your willingness to obey what God has said. This is the difference. And so God says, yeah, because I'm God, I'm going to feed you. Because I'm God, I'm going to take care of you. But what happens after that is conditional, and it's based on you. Because I'm God, I will preserve you, but how much you progress is conditional. And it's based on your obedience, this is why we can be in the church, and a lot of people come to church, but you got a, a lot of people who say they love God, but how many know not all of our results are the same? Am I in the right church, or should I stay in Tampa? All right. I want to make sure I'm in the right place. We, we, we all are, we, we say we love God, but when we look at the fruit in our lives and the promises of God in our lives, a lot of times you don't have the same results, and that becomes confusing to us. But, but here's what we have to understand. We get different results because God will ultimately let you live on the level you settle for. He will let you live on the level that you settle for. If you're okay with just getting to heaven, that's what you'll get. But if you want the exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or imagine, it requires your participation to possess those kind of promises. <laughs> Moses, he told Moses, he said, I, I told you all what I wanted to do. I, I gave a promise. I told you what I wanted to do. I told you what my heart was. But you all only focused on certain aspects of my communication, but you ignored my conditions. You ignored my condition. You ignored all my if-thens. If-thens. Isaiah chapter 1, 19 and 20 says, If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. All throughout the scripture, there are if-thens. If you do this, God says, I will do that. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will pour out revival on them. If you're obedient, then you're going to be blessed. If you're disobedient, you're not going to be blessed. If you'll draw near to me, I will draw near to you. How many know some of God's promises are conditional based on our participation? But when we ignore the if-thens, we got to stop complaining about the results. If we're ignoring all the if-thens and not getting the results we want, then we got to get back to the we got to go back to the drawing board and say, God, I want to do it your way, not my way. Now, the crazy thing about this story is these people had all progressed to a certain level, but their progress plateaued. It stopped. It became stifled. Because they were unwilling, watch this, I'm going to say it like this. They were willing to be saved, but unwilling to be led. 
willing to be saved, but unwilling to be led. That's a, there's, there's a big difference. Um, this is where a large part of the body of Christ is. A large part of the body of Christ wants to be saved. Like, we want heaven. We just don't want to be obedient on earth. We want, we want saved. We just don't want to be led. And so God is saying, my promises are conditional based on your willingness to be led. On your willingness to come under my leadership. This, this caused the children of Israel to get to that place where they're like, God, we'll, we'll take the whole rescue thing. We want you to bring us out of Egypt. We want that. We want to be rescued from the bondage. But they were unwilling to allow God to lead them once they got out. So, so here's the thing. Here's another point. The test of your loyalty is not in seasons when you are in desperation, but rather the test of your loyalty is seen in seasons of elevation. And what I mean, what I mean by that is everybody is committed to God when they are in a crisis. Everybody's committed when they're in a pinch. Everybody's committed when they need a breakthrough. Everybody's committed when they need a healing. Everybody's committed when all the things are working out for them, when, when nothing's working out for them. When things are going bad, people are like, God, I love you. God, I need you. For, for you, I live. For you, I die. God, it's all about you. I just need you to show up because I am desperate. But a lot of times we come out of a crisis. God meets our needs. We come out of Egypt. We're on our way to heaven, and our progress stops. Because all we want is to get to heaven at that point, and we don't want to be obedient. This group that God is talking to Moses about, they did the salvation thing. But salvation is not the destination. Salvation is the door that leads to a new life under new management. Are y'all here? It's a new life under new management which means I no longer call my own shots, which means I, don't, I, I no longer determine all the things in my life. When we're really submitted to God, we don't decide where we live, where we work. Are y'all here? When we're really submitted to God, he determines those things. But their progress was halted because they were like, we want you to rescue us. But now that we're out, we don't want your leadership. We don't want you to tell us how to live. We don't want you to tell us what to do. We just want to be saved. When you cease to progress after God has rescued you, you are actually wasting God's resources. And one of God's resources that he uses to get us to where he wants us is pain. Some of us, because we're not being obedient in this season, we are wasting the pain we went through in the last season. Why would you go through all that hurt, all that pain, all that confusion? Why would you go through that difficult season just to stop and plateau and miss out on the promises of God? Why would you stop short of everything God has for you? Why would you waste the pain of the last season? Instead, we got to start making sense out of the pain we went through. And I'm not going to sit back and magically wait for it to make sense. I'm going to make it make sense because if I had to walk through it, if I had 
to cry over it, if I had to be confused over it, I'm not going to waste that. I'm going to make somebody pay me back for what I've walked through. Come on, somebody. Somebody's about to pay me. I'm not wasting it. I'm going to get what belongs to me. I'm not going to waste the pain. I'm not going to waste the difficulty. I'm not going to waste what I went through that I didn't want to go through and then plateau and come short of everything God has for me. When you make your pain pay, you stop waiting for stuff to make sense. You make it make sense. I'm going to make it make sense. See, they didn't realize, the children of Israel didn't realize that God desperately wants to do more than just save you. How many are thankful God wants to do more than just save you? Salvation's a big deal, but he wants to do more than that. He wants to lead you, but he doesn't want to lead you because he needs to. He wants to lead you because he knows we need him to lead us. We need his leadership. He wants to lead because he knows there is a demarcation, there is a line, there is a limit where you and I, we can get so far, but how many, we always are going to hit the ceiling called human limitation. There is a ceiling to what we can make happen. There's a ceiling to what we can accomplish. And and so God is saying, "I, I want to lead you because you are limited. There are some things you cannot see that I can see. And he's saying, I want you to follow me because I can see in a way that you can't. And God's leadership always puts you and I in, a, in an advantage. We have an advantage when God is leading. And, and not only do we have an advantage, divine leadership gives you speed. You will get to where you want to get to a whole lot quicker when you are obeying God. Come on, somebody. Like, there, there, there's speed involved. That what would take normally six months, God could do in a week if you would listen. That, that there is speed. That there are, there's favor he wants to open up over your life. And people are going to look at your life and say, my goodness, how, how does all that breakthrough happen? How does all that acceleration happen? How did they get from point A to point B so fast? And your answer is going to be, God did it. I just obeyed. I, all the if-thens I said yes to. And as I said yes to the if-thens, he started opening up doors. He started giving promotion. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to help me. Like, he will do what you can't do. But you got to be willing to be led. Israel's in this wilderness, and, and, and it's so crazy to me that it was an 11-day journey. And they were stuck 40 years. They turned a stage into a state. This was supposed to be a temporary season. But it became a permanent season. All because they said, we want you to save us. We just don't want you to lead us. We want you to fix us, but we don't want you to lead us. What are you still in that was supposed to be temporary that you turned in to long term? What area of your life 
was supposed to be a temporary season, that you've made a long-term season. God is saying, you followed me when you were in Egypt. Now that you are out of Egypt, you guys have become the experts. Now you know better than me. When you were being oppressed by Pharaoh, you called out to me. I heard you cry, and I called Moses to come deliver you. I did all of that, but now that you're out of bondage, you've become the experts. These people tell us something. Here it is. You will only progress to the level that you cease to allow leadership to have influence. They were stuck in the wilderness because they refused to be led. They were now the experts. They now knew best, and they did not need God to tell them what to do. They didn't need Moses to tell them what to do. They, they stopped. They plateaued. And here's the scariest thing about that text, and I didn't even plan to say this. They all died in the wilderness. They all died. God was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait all of y'all out, and I'm only going to take Joshua and Caleb in. I wonder how many people God's waiting on to die so he can get something done in the earth. Woo! Y'all didn't like that one. I wonder how many people God's like, I'm going to wait them out. I can't trust them. I can't bring them into the promise. I can't bring them into what I have for them. When you look at your life, they were stuck in the wilderness. When you look at your life, when I look at my life, any part, any area that we see we are stuck, any area, that's an area we have ceased to allow leadership. It doesn't matter what the area. If you're stuck financially, it might do you some good to sit down with somebody who's good in finances and get some leadership. If you're stuck emotionally, it might be a good idea for you to get some emotional leadership in your life. And I'm not talking about Aunt, Be- Aunt Betty or Aunt Jean or Uncle Jim or, or people that are not even walking with God. I'm saying find somebody that knows what they're doing. Find somebody that has walked it out, that can speak into your life. I don't care where you're stuck, wherever we're stuck, it's because we cease to allow leadership to have influence. And, and before we, we judge the people of Israel, I don't want us to judge them today. I want us to dive deeper in, into why they had caution. Because at the end of the day, they had caution. They were a little bit afraid of following Moses. They're looking at leadership side-eyed, if you will. And, and oftentimes, when, when we see something that is happening in the present, how many of you know sometimes it's good to dig into the past and find out why? Why do we view it this way? Why do we, how many, our pain, our trauma, what we've gone, how many, it all affects our viewpoint, right? And if you dive a little bit deeper into the children of Israel, and you look at why they are so, they have so much caution, you, you, you find out that 400 years of bondage will do that to you. When you've sat under Pharaoh and 
you have been slaves underneath bad, abusive leadership, it will make you have caution. And so they've sat under this, and all they have seen is oppressive, abusive leadership. That's all they've seen. And then God raises up a man named Moses. And you think, well, why aren't they following Moses? I'll tell you why they're struggling. I'll tell you why they have caution. Because Moses was raised in the oppressor's house. They're probably worried, uh, Moses, do you have a little bit of Pharaoh in you? Because we've watched how he's led us, and he's beat us, he's mistreated us, he's done all these things to us, and we just need to make sure that we can trust your leadership. They're a little bit cautious. And then the enemy triggers their suspicions because Moses, watch this, the mildest, most humble, and the most meek man in the world. The Bible talks about Moses in those terms. Mild, meek, humble. He has one moment where he gets angry, and instead of speaking to the rock, he starts beating it. They're like, there it is. Pharaoh coming out. Pharaoh coming out in Moses today, even though he's mild, he's meek, he's humble, he has one moment where he's mad. And now they're like, that's it. He, he's, we can't trust him now. We can't, we can't follow him now. And there's some am- apprehension here and caution because of what happened with Pharaoh. Now, if we, if we look at Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not a name. Pharaoh is a title. Okay, so it's the equivalent of president. I know when we read the story, we think Pharaoh's the name. Pharaoh is is the president. And so over 400 plus years of this, they have seen patterns. This is not one president. This is not one Pharaoh. They have seen multiple Pharaohs be abusive. Multiple Pharaohs be harder and more oppressive more toxic, more narcissistic, more unhealthy. They have seen a pattern of this for over 400 years. And what we have to, the reason I say we can't judge them too quickly is because it's hard to believe that another thing exists if you've never been exposed to it. All they had known is oppression. All they had known is bondage. All they had known is slavery. And and so God is trying to help them to see a future beyond what they have been exposed to. And some of us today in this room, we, we feel stuck. We feel stuck financially. We feel stuck relationally. Some of you are lonely. You, you, you just wish that God would send a friend, send somebody to come alongside of you. Some of us, were stuck emotionally. Something happened to us seven years ago, and it's still at the front of our mind, and it still determines decisions we made. Some of us, we were a child, and something happened, and 32 years later, we still make decisions through the prism of what happened. We get stuck emotionally and relationally, financially, and spiritually, because of things we go through. And then sometimes we reach out for help, but we ask the wrong people for help. I think Jesus said something like, if the blind leads the blind, they both end up in the ditch. Right? They both end up in the ditch. 
And sometimes when you get stuck, sometimes when I get stuck, let's just take it in the natural. If you, if you get stuck in your vehicle, sometimes you can, you know, get a friend to help you out, but sometimes you need a tow truck. You need somebody to pull you out. Somebody to, to pull you out of wherever it is you feel stuck. This was the case when, when God gave the word to Moses and said, I know, I know what I promised, but these people are not going to get the promise. When God is making that statement to him, what I love about God is that was the case with the majority But God shifted the conversation with Moses and the most powerful word of the text when he said, they're not getting the promise, but that's the most powerful word in the text because God says, they've treated me with contempt. They've dishonored me. They've disgraced me. They've been disobedient, but my servant, Caleb. Now, how many of that will preach right there? I could kick his table over and really start preaching. But... So the majority is going to miss out on everything God has. But aren't you thankful that even when the majority is all going the wrong way, God will not allow that to dictate what he does for you? He said, but my servant, Caleb. But my servant, Caleb. And and he didn't just say Caleb is different. Sometimes we try to deify difference. Sometimes difference is bad. Like sometimes it's just a bad thing when you're different. But he, he qualifies what the difference is. He says, but my servant Caleb has a different spirit. And the qualification is he follows me wholeheartedly. There's your qualification. What separated Caleb from the majority who missed it? They followed him when it was convenient. Caleb followed him no matter what. Wholeheartedly. Not halfway, not some of the time, not 75% of the time. Caleb said, I'm all in all the time. I'm going to follow God. And God did not allow the minority to be stuck because of the attitudes and actions of the majority. Just because everybody doesn't go doesn't mean you don't get to go. Somebody should celebrate right there. You're going, come on, hit, hit two people and tell them I'm going. Come on, I'm, not, I'm not dying in the wilderness. I'm not dying in my sickness. I'm not dying in my pain. I'm not dying in my disappointment. I'm going into the promise of God. I'm going to follow him wholeheartedly. I'm not missing my moment. This is so, so good. I got to thinking about this and thought about, as for me and my house, in the middle of this culture that is so upside down, so, so much sin, so much confusion, so much junk going on in the world, but I just hear, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will, come on, sir, we will follow Jesus. We, we we're not going to do this halfway, but we're going to do it 
wholeheartedly. Yeah, we may stand out and look like a bunch of weird people that are different, but it's because we got a different spirit like Caleb did, a different spirit that separates us from the crowd, a different spirit that God says, I'll bring you into the land. Even if the majority wants to walk right into hell, I'll bring you into every promise I have for you. God does things for people that are obedient and willing to do what he said to do. Woo! I'm starting to feel it now. Took me a minute to get here. Caleb gets Canaan. Canaan gets Canaan, or Caleb gets Canaan. And I love, I love this because we know it wasn't just Caleb, it was Joshua and Caleb. But in this text, Joshua's not mentioned, only Caleb is mentioned. He said, but my servant, Caleb. And a lot of us, when we look at the text, we're like, I want to be like Caleb. I, I, I want to do, you know, what he did. I want the exceeding, the abundant life. I want more than you can ask, more than you can imagine. I want, want all of that stuff. But you can't do that on your own. You need God to lead you. He followed God wholeheartedly. What, what's that mean? He submitted himself to God's, God and God's leadership. He's like, I'm going to do this with my whole heart. And we've all had some Pharaoh seasons in our lives that has contributed to our hesitancy to follow the way Caleb did. I know, I know you look at me, well, he's the pastor holding the microphone, his world's different. Guys, I've been through some of the same hell you've been through. And what you got to understand, if you're getting hit, it's because I'm getting hit first. I get hit. I get hit in my relationships. I get hit in my finances. I get hit with my kids. I get hit with all the same things that you get hit with. I've had Pharaoh seasons where I did not understand. God, why am I going through this? God, why is this happening? And it's in those Pharaoh seasons that we start to question, can we trust God's leadership? Because we go through hard things. We go through difficult things that we can't explain. And sometimes, because of what we've gone through, we only want to follow God's leadership so far. But when we cease to follow God's leadership, that is where we plateau off. That's where we settle. That's where our life gets stuck. And I don't care how far God has brought you, if you're still here and have breath in your lungs, God's not done. He's still wants to lead you. He still has promises for you. And a lot of times we're questioning him even though his track record is so consistent. Caleb gets Canaan and we're, we're how many know, this is Old Testament, but we're, we're new covenant Christians, right? Jesus said though, he made a statement, he said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. What, what's that mean? It means that even in the Old, Old Testament, I need to be looking for Jesus in the story. I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It means that when we read the old covenant, we need to be looking for Jesus. I want the worship team to come because they're going to help me land this plane. Let me say it like this. We learn from all kinds of people, and we should, but we only follow Jesus, right? We learn, even in scripture, even in scripture, when we look at Paul, there's a lot of things I learned from Paul, but there's parts of Paul's life, like I don't want to kill Christians. 
So I learned from Paul, but I followed Jesus. I learned from David. I mean, I want to be a man after God's own heart, but David had this whole other side of like adultery and murder and lies. I, like, I don't want to learn from that. Are y'all here? Like, so I, I learned from him, but, but I don't follow him. I, I learned from Solomon. Like, he had a lot of wisdom. I, I learned from him, but he had a lot of other stuff in his life that I don't really want to follow. Why? Because they all had junk. They all had stuff. So I learned from them, but I follow Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing. Jesus is the one I'm following, but the spirit of Caleb is the spirit of the second man. Caleb gets to inherit the land, but he does not get to inherit Moses' leadership role. Think about this. In the text, God says, Caleb, but my servant Caleb, he's going to get to go into Canaan, but he's not the one who inherited Moses' leadership role. Joshua got that role. So, so God doesn't even mention Joshua in this text, but Joshua is the one who succeeds Moses, and he leads them into the promised land. Caleb is the second man. Caleb's not in charge. Caleb's not the one leading the troops. And, and what I find interesting is that Caleb has to submit in this new season to a person that in the previous season was his peer. Are you following? Caleb and Joshua were both just playing their roles. And then God shifts things. And the person you were equal to in the last season, now you submit to. If you've ever had to do that, that can be tough. Like we were like peers and now you the boss. I mean, that's tough. And Caleb submits to a peer because he represents the second man. Jesus is referred to in scripture as the second man, as the second Adam, as the last Adam. Not the first, but the, the last Adam. That's Jesus. Jesus said, watch this, I'm going somewhere. I only do what I see my father doing. The only thing I'm doing is bringing, I'm, sec, I'm bringing my father glory. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted his preferences and said, Father, not my, what was Jesus showing? He was showing us, I have a will. What Jesus wanted to happen in the garden was for God to deliver him. He said, but I was there when we made the plan and I know why we got to do it. And he, said, he has to say these words, not my will, but your will be done. I'm the second man. I'm the second man. Not my will, but your will be done. I got a will, but I'm going to put my will under your will. This is what it looks like when God is leading your life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this a step further. When God is, until you disagree with God, he's not leading you. It's easy just to shake your head yes to everything God says. But as those moments, listen to me, you're not so holy that God's will is never different than yours. 
Sometimes your will looks very much different than God's will. And it's in those moments that you're, you kind of disagree with, you know, I got a will, he's got a will. I'm, I'm, I'm not in agreement. Are you going to submit your will under his? Are, are, are you going to submit your will under his? Come on, hit somebody and say, king me. King me. Some of you missed it. Andrew, hand me those. You, you missed it spiritually, but y'all understand checkers. How many's ever played checkers? There's something that happens in the game of checkers. When you get to the other side, all the way to the other end of the board, what do you say? You say, king me. You take a piece of the game, a checker piece, and you put it on top of your piece. And once I say king me, and that piece gets on top, I can now move around the board in ways that I couldn't move before I was king. I'm saying that when we say king me and we submit our will to God's will and say king me, we put our will under God's will and God will take you over what you couldn't get over. God will advance your life in ways that you could not advance your life. God will take you you couldn't open. Come on, somebody say, King me. King me. Last point, throw it up on the screen. Last slide. Do we have the last? If you will get under, God will help you get over. Somebody give your God a praise right there. If you will get under, God will help you get over. I want you to bow your heads in this moment. For some of you, this is a Gethsemane moment. And what I mean by that is that it's time to put God on top. While you were in Egypt, you wanted God's help, but you've come out of Egypt and now you've become the expert. But in saying, King me, God, today we pray specifically, God, that you would be our King that you would sit on the throne of our heart. God, we admit today that we are not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We, we, we don't have all the qualifications. God, we're, not, we're, we're too emotional. God, we're too unpredictable. God, we don't trust ourselves with our future. But today, God, we trust you. We ask you, God, to be our king. God, if you lead us, you will lead us to a place of green pastures and still waters. God, we trust your leadership. We trust your voice. We trust what you're about to do in our lives. God, as we make you the king of our heart. I pray for your people today, God, that are in moments of saying, not my will, but your will. I'm not going to just trust you to bring me out of Egypt. But God, I'm going to trust you to lead my life. Not my will, but your will. I believe the Holy Spirit is doing a work in many, many hearts this morning as people have recognized areas where they have cut off God's leadership to pursue their own things. And this message is not to, to bring condemnation. There is, therefore, now 
no condemnation to those that are in Christ. It's not a condemning message. It's a wake up message that God wants to lead your life. And what he has for you is better than what you have for yourself. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing in and through your people in this moment. As people are praying, I want you to just pray. Pray right there where you are. Some of you, you, you just, the Holy Spirit's leading you. He's talking to you. Go ahead and work that out right there. Talk to him. But I want to speak to those that are here and you say, Pastor, I'm not in right relationship with Jesus. I'm not right with God. I need his grace. I need to be delivered out of Egypt. I need to be saved. I want to submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. But if that's you, would you just throw your hand up and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I want to give my life to Christ right now. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. We'll ask the prayer team, staff, get in place. We're going to open up these altars. Some of you, you, you have a next step this morning. The truth is, is that you need a little help. You need a little guidance. These prayer team members are ready to minister to you. They're ready to, to pray for you. And, and we're going to see God move. We want to open up these altars for every person that needs prayer, for a sickness, anything you need. If it's just this message spoke to you, I would encourage you to respond to the word today. Give God an opportunity to meet you. Listen, y'all look at me, look at me, look at me. Let's not be the kind of people that say, God, bring me out. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want your leadership. Let's not be those people. Let's be the kind of people that says, God, thank you for bringing me out. You've been better to me than I've been to myself. And I will follow your leadership. Can I get a good amen and a good hand clap this morning? Worship team, let's go. Altars are open. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.